Well, I mean, he's been here so many times, and he's like melting. Yes. Well, you know who he kind of. Well, he used to look like Throw Mama from the Train. Oh yeah, Anne Ramsey. But now he reminds me of uh, Belial, the the twin from Basket Basket Case. Case. Yes. Which I I had a huge conversation about at Mondo. Uh, None of the kids have seen Basket Case. No, I know it's a forgotten, uh, sleazy uh, grindhouse movie. You think so? Yeah, it wasn't okay. And I don't think the sequels really did it justice. Oh no, no, I I never even saw them. I knew they'd be bad. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular. Names from all over the country. Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our good friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. I am your co-host, Jay Gilke, and I'm sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Safari Stew to Steve Stone, a wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and recently wrestled the Honky Tonk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine in a tag match. Kick their ass. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, the ass kicker, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. What's up, Derek? Uh, I'm friendly with both of the gentlemen that you mentioned in my opening there. Steve. Steve Stone and Safari Stew. Uh, But kind of scraping the bottom there, aren't you? Um, I was looking for names that both had double S's. I oh, saw okay. Safari Stew and thought it was a great name. And then a couple Did matches. you ever see Safari Stew? I never saw Safari Stew. Okay. Safari Stew, um, skinny guy, porno, porno mustache, but he did like a, uh, who was the guy that got stabbed with the, the stingray? Steve Irwin. Irwin. Yeah, okay. did kind of a Steve Irwin thing, but had a fake monkey named Ricardo that danced and came out to that, uh, what, Bad Touch by the Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was so funny because the music would hit and the beat would hit, and then Ricardo would dance through the curtain, and then Safari Stew would come out. Okay. You know? and one, So far, I'm not liking it. Well, it <laughs> he's a nice guy. I'm sure he is. But so at one Steve point Irwin. he was at one point he was doing this, and I laughed at myself thinking of like 15 years later, when he's got this huge pot belly and he's balding, and the music's playing, and he's got Ricardo dancing through the curtain, and he's just standing there sucking down the last of his hand rolled cigarette before he goes right, out for right. his match, and that made me laugh. Does he still work? Uh, no, I believe he actually um, unfortunately had a like an injury, like concussions, had to give it up or whatever. Gotcha. Wow, that's a downer. Yeah, well, sorry. I he should have went more Jack Hanna. Sure. I liked, I've always liked Jack Hanna better than I liked... Uh, should have brought an eagle. I'm sure an eagle would love crowds. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Hey, are you familiar with um, the website? I don't even know it's a website. It's a Reddit site. 
Um, let me let me stop you. Yes. No. Yeah, that's true. Uh, nature is metal. No. So you might like it. Look it up. Wait a minute. I heard something about uh, like pictures of cats with metal lyrics attached to them. Is no, that that's not it at all. Oh, nature okay. is metal is basically showing you the brutality of nature. Oh. So the for instance, I was on it the other day, and it was a uh, tiger that had the carcass of a um, zebra. Uh huh. And it had eaten out its guts and was kind of like sticking its head through and was like, it almost looked like it was laughing. Like, hey guys, look at me. I'm oh. sticking my head through. One that's real popular that people have talked about is uh, there's a hummingbird uh-huh. that flies into like a pigeon's nest uh-huh. and just starts pecking the head of the pigeon and basically pecks a hole in the pigeon's head and starts eating its brains. Oh, that's nice. Nature, Are these videos or? Videos. Oh, okay. GIFs or GIFs, whatever the kids call them. What do they call them, Kyle? Is it GIFs or GIFs? I don't know. Yeah. No. Choosy mothers. Choosy mothers choose gifts. Um, related to that. Yes. I do. I was able to acquire a copy of the movie Ratopolis. Yes. Are, are you familiar? Yes. Oh, pff, okay. But I got it through the pest control guy of a plant that I used to work at because it was part of their required viewing. Sure. Um, but it's the Canadian deal where yeah, they right. stress the rat colony and everything. Yeah. Very brutal. Yeah. Like, like, wow. Like, so were you just looking around for it? Uh, no, he had mentioned it, that it was part of their training. And I was like, oh, I'd love to see a copy of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And it's, then I think he got replaced as the PCO, but looked me up on Facebook, or it might have been MySpace back then. Sure. Got my address and sent me a copy. Oh, that's so. awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, that's some crazy stuff. It really yes. freaks you out. I caught 11 rats this summer. Our neighbor, listen to this shit. Is this and then a, we rest- get into this the episode. a wrestling podcast? Yeah, tell right. Me about the, tell me about the rats <laughs> you rats. caught. So our neighbor, she, she's a doctor, right? So you think this broad's smart. Oh, dear Lord. Hold okay. on. Okay. She puts up... Uh, this man does not represent me. So she puts up a bird feeder, okay? Mm-hmm. And all these birds are coming around, and they're pooping on my deck, and they're doing all this stuff. And then I'm realizing that I'm seeing, like, rat holes forming underneath my deck, and then my neighbor's getting them underneath his deck. Mm-hmm. So I'm at a party, and a guy from a pest control agency just happens to be there. And I'm like, so what's, like, uh, what's going on? He goes, um, they're there because there's either water or a food source. Do you have any food out? I'm like, oh, hell no. My dog's eating in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, no treats. He goes, do you have a bird feeder up? I'm like, son of a bitch, I don't, but the lady next to me does. Uh-huh. He goes, tell her to take her bird feeder down because that's what's drawing the rats. Okay. So sure enough, I see her. Hey, <laughs> check it out. We've got rats, and I was told by an exterminator, uh-huh. an actual legit licensed uh, exterminator, it's because of your bird feeder. And in fact, I can look and I can see how the grass is matted down from where these little fuckers are running back and forth. Uh-huh. Because they had the feeder, and then there was like a bowl underneath sure. it where they were feeding out of or grabbing food out of. And uh, she goes, well, how long do you think I'm going to have to keep it down for? And I'm like, probably forever. Uh-huh. And she's like, well, my cat really likes looking out the window at the birds at the feeder. I'm like, I don't want rats in my yard, and neither do the other neighbors. Uh-huh. So could you take it down, and then we'll catch the rats, and we'll kind of proceed from there. And she's like, well, can we just wait till it runs out of food, the feeder? And I'm like, I want to be a good neighbor. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, sure. Runs out of food. Over the next two weeks, I proceed to catch 11 rats. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother-in-law taught me how. are you catching them? I have a a heart cage, right? Okay. But this is what my mother-in-law taught me. You fill up a bucket full of water. Right. And you submerge that have a heart right in there and you kill it. Yep. So me and my kids, it's like this whole father-son thing. We're catching rats and drowning them. Boom, boom, boom. 
two of them were really big, so big, we bagged them and drove them in the car to a dumpster somewhere else because it was like a Friday and our garbage doesn't get picked up till Wednesday. So anyhow, rats are gone. A week and a half, two weeks, no rats. She puts the goddamn bird feeder back up. Mm-hmm. What happens a day after the bird feeder's up? I see another burrow going underneath our fence. Mm-hmm. All right, that was a good episode. We'll see you guys next time. That was uh, <laughs> discussing rats. So um, I caught one rat, and then I asked her, could you please take it down again because we have rats again. And she said, um, okay, I guess. And then she's like, well, it's a good thing winter's coming. Like as if meaning like if winter wasn't coming, she would have still kept the bird feeder up. Mm-hmm. Or she was giving a Game of Thrones reference. Both. Or both. So I don't know. But anyhow, she's a doctor. That's you feel better now. Ah, sorry. Anyhow, speaking of small things that scurry about. Oh, dear. Hello. Now we have to keep it in. Uh, yes, I love it. Uh, <laughs> How many times you had to say that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, guess what, everybody? We're talking about um, little people in the sport of wrestling. What do we call those? Part one of things Luthes does not like. Yes. And we're not, look, as, as long as we're talking about it in terms of wrestling, we could say midget, can't oh, we? Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. Like, absolutely. this isn't, I would not say. That's how they referred to themselves. Right. I'm not seeing a guy walk down the street that's uh, short stature and saying, hey, it's a midget or anything like that. <laughs> not out loud. Not out loud. I'm saying it in my head first, and then I'm curious if they'll work uh, if we put a hood on them. Ha-ha. <laughs> but, uh, no, but seriously, I would never make fun of anybody, and, I'm not, and I don't think we're trying to disparage them, but when they work in the business of professional wrestling, oh, it's midget. Okay, yes, yes, they're midgets, and this is, go ahead. So I, I was going to take it into the sideshow bit. Take it. Well, this was very common to when human oddities were exhibited at the sideshow. Right. Everybody passed laws against doing it, but the people that were in it were like, no, this is how I make my money and I make a good living. You know, you're just, you know, don't don't impose your, your deal on me. The people that wrestled in the midget wrestling troupe that we'll get into discuss, like they willingly did it and had a lot of fun doing it. Right. So, oh, that's, yeah. They call themselves midgets. They're midgets. Right. And that's just kind of where we go with this. So, again, please, if there's anybody listening, don't get offended. It's mm-hmm. just what they call themselves. It's the way the business is run. Right. And um, again, wrestling not based on a lot of political correctness. Right. Exactly. So, we just kind of take it and go with it from there. Um, I, Kyle was suggesting that during this episode, he just run Randy Newman's Short People Got No Business underneath this. I said, no, let's keep this civil. Let's keep this. Uh, uh, you know, above the table, maybe where they can't reach, but still. Did we do that? We did that, didn't we? We used that. We used it for Sky Low Low, didn't we? Was it Sky Low Low? Yeah. Yes, I believe so. So that was uh, that was uh, Kyle's pick too, everybody. So please don't be mad at us. Kyle picked "Short People" by Randy Newman for the song underneath the Sky Low Low monologue. So anyway, uh, midget wrestling yes. at one time, as it existed, what we want to discuss. Uh, was a traveling attraction that would go from territory to territory, much like the women did back in the day. Right. Um, So you wouldn't see, like, it was very difficult for a midget to homestead or stay in one territory for very long because, unfortunately, regardless of their ability, of the way they could connect with the crowd, which, as we get into, we'll see, wasn't necessarily required uh, they were only there for a while because they were in in and of themselves a gimmick. But were they in, they were introduced though? So it wasn't 
originally, like you said, they were the gimmick. They came from like that vaudeville, that kind of sideshow thing, and they're the they kind of implemented themselves into wrestling, right? It wasn't like wrestling originally did wrestling come seeking them or did they would you say that they kind of infiltrated the business they infiltrated the business because pe- such people as lord littlebrook and a few other ones that i can't think of actually Kyle's have already that, laughing at all the names well they have that circus background uh like lord littlebrook was was a tumbler he right. was you know a little person or whatever back in england in the 40s wasn't a lot of ways for him to make a lot of money you know except working in the sweatshops or whatever right. The circus came along and was like, oh, you're a little person, come in here. Boom. So they wanted him as an attraction, but he instead chose to learn all the acts. Yes. So, you know, learned a lot of acrobatics and stuff like that. From there, uh, was brought into the world of wrestling by Jack Britton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Britton was a promoter out of Montreal who really codified and put together the midget wrestling troupe that toured North America and the world. He was the promoter of that group. Like yeah. He was the one that basically uh, booked them out. For several years. Uh, now, this is what we're talking about. Uh, they were a traveling attraction in wrestling at that time. If you wanted midgets, you called Jack Britton. Sure. You know, later Lord Littlebrook, who took over when that person died. Yeah. And if you wanted women, you called Moolah. Okay. Now, there were other promotions and other workers around you know, but they weren't part of the established group. Was there, can we pinpoint like the way we were able to pinpoint supposedly the first cage match or the, you know, this or that? Can we pinpoint the first midget wrestlers or is that uh, I believe it's fuzzy? It's, and I don't mean fuzzy, <laughs> fuzzy Cupid. Cupid. Hey! I didn't mean fuzzy Cupid. I just meant is that something that's not really tracked? Uh, I, I don't have that, but sure. I'm sure it goes back to, you could even see it in gladiator days, right. you know, because. The well, emperors assume, like their human oddities as right. well. Well, I was going to say, I'd assume that if you have a vaudeville show and they grab a couple of the midgets out of there and they have them kind of sp- doing their tricks and spinning around in the ring, eventually that ends up that uh, Well, hold that on, changes. hold on, because yes. you're saying all about the, the tricks. Sorry, I'm getting a little no, scratchy no here. Take a drink. It's all right. <sighs> Incidentally, when my niece was born, yes, which was uh, 19 years ago now, and like my parents taught her how to drink from a bottle. They taught her that. Now you have to do that. I was like, oh, it's funny they're teaching her how to do that. Wait a minute. Is that why I do that? There you go. Yeah. So it was kind of scary. That's your new uh, wrestling name is Derek Pavlov's dog. Same home. That's fine because then I mentioned the Rolling Stones song. So there. All right. Ha ha. Very good. But the midget style that you're talking about, that's something that developed out of that Jack Britton gym. Sure. So any matches prior to that might not have been slapstick and may have been, you know, this this midget will beat anybody of his body weight. Sure. You know, or something like that. And that was that. the Sky Low gimmick that he took around, wasn't it? Right. Sky Low took that, like, challenging... Well, Skyla Lowe later joined the Jack Britton troupe. So sure. a lot, like you sent me a list of names to look at. A majority of that list came out of this Jack Britton. Surprisingly, the list was um, pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So with Jack Britton, you had the central gym and the central booking agency. Sure. Jack Britton would arrange for a driver to take uh, his attractions around, You know, depending on how many units he had on on the road whether it was single or, or right. four and uh he has started the practice of taking 30 percent of the midgets pay 
Got it. So if they were supposed to get paid a grand, they only got paid 700. Sure, sure. And the driver would then hold the money for everybody. So who knows where the count was taken right. care of. No, absolutely. Uh, Jack Britton was also known as the father of Gino Brito. Yes. Who was uh, very involved in Canadian wrestling promotion along with Dino Bravo. Sure. Which is very interesting because Dino Bravo was, of course, tied into the Canadian underworld. Right. Uh, and Gino Brito was also Italian, so I don't believe anything was ever proven, but Gino Brito had to take very specific steps to distance himself from any questionable activities oh, I believe in, in that area. So that's funny, right. which makes me wonder, how was Jack Britton involved in that, if he was involved in that whole Canadian underworld? Now, I know Jacques Rougeau was also tied in. Right. Uh, Rougeau Sr. I'd heard that, too. Well, okay, I've heard all of this, yes. I don't know anything for sure, so... If by chance this gets into the, you know, area of Montreal, I don't know anything. I'm just a stupid American. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, but so who are we? We're looking at at the time. We're looking at the main ones were Sky Lolo, Little Beaver, Lord Little Brook, and Fuzzy Cupid. Right. Yes. Like that was yes. the that was the big four. And they would pretty much they would do the the tours. Yeah, they would do the tours. Kyle, stop laughing. That. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, really, Kyle? See, I, Kyle I went there now. I expected better. For those uh, at home, Kyle just laughed and said, the big four? They heard. Sorry. Uh, so that was the main touring troupe that would do that. Now, this was much like the carnivals that would go around and recruit, like they'd have human oddities, but they would see somebody in the crowd and approach them about being trained. Sure. So that was an easy way for people to... or you know, people to get their opportunity. But of course they'd also have to sell everything and move to Montreal or uh, move to Missouri. Uh, right. Lord Littlebrook took over after Gino Brito so that everybody went through him. Okay. Um, now this is something I wanted to bring up a concept I wanted to explore here. Like with human oddities, how would it feel if you had something, something different about you? And you were led to believe, you know, everybody told you you were normal. And then you went to an attraction or something and they had the same uh, same affliction or the same difference as you. Yet they were being portrayed as being different. Yeah. Uh, like that had to be very crushing uh, to see that like on the sideshow. Now, I don't know how that would feel with a little person watching midget wrestling, especially at that time. Right. Like they could see that as a conduit. This could be my ticket out and then hang around and talk to people. Right. I've often thought that um, for myself, I'm a big fan of the films of Alexandro Jodorowsky. Oh, dear Lord. Are you familiar? Holy Mountain, El Topo. El Topo, that's the one I was yeah. thinking of. Um, Santa Sangre. And uh, he always used a lot of people with... Um, the birth defects with mm -hmm. physical deformities, different sizes and stuff like that. And uh, I always thought that if I had the, if I didn't have an arm or I had some kind of mm -hmm. difference that uh, I'd be incredibly marketable. I think you people are incredibly marketable in Hollywood. Right. And be able to, to be used. And I don't think enough people with these things, these differences, uh-huh uh take advantage of that situation so when we do our cinema podcast i want to see if this is still legit in the age of cgi i think there's some i think the um 
I think a lot of directors will go for that. Like okay. they really do, especially if you're needing. Uh, I think there's a ton of people hired for The Walking Dead that are missing arms and legs. That just easier for them to okay throw enough. it on. So I think that there definitely is a market, especially because even though CGI is big, I think people are going back to practical effects. Fair um, enough for things like that. Kyle's like, eh, somewhat. Uh, we mentioned touring acts, the midgets and the women. Yes. Andre the Giant was also a touring act like this as well. Obviously, you could do a little bit more with Andre, but still, he was only in your area for a little bit and right. then kept rocketing around the country. And he was such an anomaly, right? Like, Well, Andre he was, was promoted as an anomaly. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was the booking of Andre that protected him and built his legend, as we've seen in the modern day era where there are people as tall or taller than Andre legitimately was, but you don't know, you like they're not standing out in your head because they're not promoted as, as giants. Right. No. And I, absolutely. Um, Granted everything updates. That's fine. But right. cigars and conversations presents mailbag, a dramatic reading of fan letters culled from the pages of classic wrestling magazines. This time, we will be going through letters from the November 1983 issue of Sports Review Wrestling. Sportsmanlike? Bull. I just received the September 1983 issue of Sports Review Wrestling, and I'm appalled by your quote-unquote wrestler of the month column. You chose Mr. Wrestling 2 as the wrestler of the month. How could you possibly choose him? You said Wrestling 2 was chosen because of his sportsmanlike way he accepted defeat from Larry Zbysko. Sportsmanlike? Bull. About two weeks after Zbysko won the national title, Mr. Wrestling 2 broke into Zbysko's locker room and stole the belt. Mr. Wrestling 2, Mr. Sportsmanlike, he did this? Wrestling 2 is nothing but a thief. The belt should be given back to Zabisco. Wrestling 2 has disgraced the belt. He has disgraced himself. And above all, he has disgraced the entire sport of wrestling. And you know, when Zabisco bought the belt, Bob Geigel stripped it from him. Now that Wrestling 2 has stolen the belt from Larry... Do you think Gaga will get the belt back and give it to Zabisco? I highly doubt it. How can Mr. Wrestling 2 call himself a scientific wrestler? If stealing belts isn't rule-breaking, I guess I just don't know what is. I used to like Mr. Wrestling 2, but after he did this, I can't stand him. Chris Powers, Severna Park, Maryland. Lawler's the greatest. How can anyone say that Jerry Lawler isn't great? He's beaten the heartthrob, Austin Idol, the world's strongest wimp, Ken Patera, and AWA champion, Nick Bockwinkle. It's a privilege for people just to be able to see Jerry wrestle. If you ever get a chance to see him, you'd better take it. He's the best AWA Southern champion in professional wrestling history. Jason Pinter, McMinnville, Tennessee. Stay, Barry. This is an open letter to Barry Windham. I would just like to let you know, Barry, that the wrestling fans here in Florida aren't going to let you go away that easy. 
I personally think that you are the best thing that has ever happened to Florida wrestling. So please, don't leave. I haven't been able to go to one of your matches yet. I've only seen them on television. But I've been following every move you make here in Florida. Keep up the good work. And don't ever leave. Kim Coates, Bellevue, Florida. Valentine owes Piper. It seems to me that Greg Valentine sees nothing wrong in impairing someone's hearing. To most wrestling fans, his actions are totally unacceptable. I'm sure Roddy Piper agrees with us. After all, it was his ear that Greg Valentine decided to mutilate. Taking someone's ear is nothing. But when it comes to Piper wanting to choke the life out of Valentine, it's, hey, nobody messes with the hammer. If that's the way Valentine is thinking, then his thoughts are getting a tiny bit pathetic. I think Valentine owes Piper a little something. How about his neck? Doris Carrion, Moxville, North Carolina. Try to follow this one if you can, listeners. Crazy Ratings. I am writing in response to your ratings in the September 1983 issue of Sports Review Wrestling. I respect your ratings, and I think they're the best ratings anywhere in professional wrestling. But this month's ratings were crazy. First of all, I live in Brooklyn, and I know the WWF like I know the back of my hand. I know for a fact that the number one contender for Bob Backlund's belt is George Steele. Definitely not Don Morocco. Secondly, how could you put Hacksaw Butch Reed in the number 10 spot in the most hated ratings? He is a popular wrestler. Last but not least, Ric Flair. The new NWA champion is Harley Race, and he is now number one in the top 10. Recent ex-champion Flair is number four in the top 10 and number one in the NWA. How could this be when your sister publication, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, put Flair number three in the NWA and not in the top ten at all? When both magazines were released and for sale at the same time. Please explain. These odd ratings don't make any sense. Danny Krause, Brooklyn, New York. Now, before we end this episode, there is an editor's note to add to this last letter. And it reads like this. Editor's note. At the time the September issue went to press, Magnificent Morocco was rated number one in the WWF and was scheduled to wrestle Bob Backlund for the, a series of title matches. Also at press time, Butch Reed changed his attitude to that of a rule breaker. A situation you've no doubt read about in this magazine and in our sister publications. And as for Ric Flair and Harley Race, well, the discrepancy is due to the fact that while both magazines do go on sale the same week, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's ratings are compiled a week earlier than those of Sports Review Wrestling. We always strive to have the ratings in each issue as up-to-date as possible. So was there, I guess I know the answer to this, so I'll just say it rather than ask it as a question, but um, the NWA were the only governing body of a wrestling promotion, mm-hmm. so to speak, that actually acknowledged midgets as like a, having a heavyweight champion and stuff like that. Is that, that's the case, right? 
uh, I believe it was in their like their programs and such, yeah. but it wasn't protected like the like there wasn't there wasn't a Sam Muchnick of midget wrestling. Right, right. It was Lord Littlebrook. Gotcha. And but so he have, gave it. <clears throat> I believe Little Tokyo had it, but I don't know how legitimate. Right. You know, it could have been he bought the belt, so he was the champ. Well, because in doing like before doing the research for Sky Low Low, I remember talking about that and that he had won a battle royal. Right. Where it was that he won the NWA midget championship. So Well, okay, let's take a step back. Remember our ill fated NWA tag team episode? Yes. The only titles that were controlled by the like the president of the NWA were the heavyweight title and the junior heavyweight title. Sure. Those were the only titles officially sanctioned. So several areas had their own NWA tag team champions. I think the midget champion was wherever he was appearing. That okay, night. gotcha. Right. You know, and there could have easily been two or three on the road at a given time. Sure. So, so there wasn't like a Ric Flair going around defending no, the midget title. No, everywhere. not at all. Remember, well, for years all these midgets were out of the same troop, so they, right. you know, they knew each other. But it wasn't there weren't local homesteading midgets that would you, you know come in and have a defense. Right. And it wasn't promoted that way. Gotcha. But they were uh, still a popular part of the wrestling scene. What would you say? Like 50s, 60s, 70s? They were Oh, still? sure. Yeah. Like that was the big, that, at that point you would see them. And again, much like you, uh, the attraction match uh-huh. or the attraction character, they weren't there. That They weren't always there as something they'd bring in. Holidays, probably when they know right. houses with kids, mm-hmm. things like that, that's when they would end up coming in. Exactly. Exactly. So that was a, a temporary deal. Now, the midges performed in the 70s up to the early 80s when it got to the point where the current troop of midgets was like aging out. Sure. And they weren't able to recruit, you know, anybody new, you know, they got a handful of new people coming into their troop, but there were more, there were more opportunities. Uh, not so much laws had changed, but feelings about it had changed. Right. Uh, not just midget wrestling, but feelings against the differently abled. Okay. Now there's different ways for them to, work work in and contribute in society and everything like that so they didn't have to you know they weren't forced to go through this area to make money and i know talking to some of the current little people workers or whatever uh they found it demeaning to do the bite the butt spots and everything like that they they did not they did not enjoy that and they wanted to be taken seriously as athletes which i totally understand I would just counter with that, but okay, but you're operating in this rubric of professional wrestling, so it kind of has to be that way in order to be the midget wrestling attraction. Right. Which it actually brings me to one of my midget memories <laughs> about the um, something that sticks out in my head because I've always seen the comical matches and the sliding on the forehead and the mm-hmm. butt bites and the rolling over and all that. Good I don't stuff. think you've seen the sliding on the forehead. I think you just saw that in that one video clip that went around forever. Well, I saw it. So oh, okay, but you didn't see, but you didn't see that as part of the regular match that you saw. No, but I'm sh- I've seen a bunch of midget matches on YouTube and such, and I've uh-huh. seen the, the, the head slide. Okay, yeah, I've seen that, but I think that uh, midget matches on a national level would have been done when Doink had Dink, because I know they sent Dink around. That was Tiger Jackson yeah. Jr. And he had, a, you know, a series of matches around the circuit. Right, but no, but I mean, I'm talking about going on YouTube and looking up classic stuff and seeing right. things on there. But so what I was going to say was one of the things I remember as a kid, and it was one of those moments where it was kind of shocking. 
again, as I take us into one of my midget memories, was um, Crusher and Little Crusher. Sure. I believe they had, must have had a cage match or they had something where Little Crusher got busted open mm-hmm. and it was very bloody. And Crusher cut a promo holding, carrying Little Crusher. And Little Crusher was bleeding. Like it was this kind of flailing about and like, ah, and he had this crimson mask and it was going down his chest. And Crusher is talking about like, you hurt my little buddy. Uh-huh. I've never seen that. And that was the first time I'd seen anything that was quite that shocking and jarring, especially because I was so used to the comical right. edge to it. Um, but then what it left me with again, because I was probably at that time six years old or five years old, was why would Crusher bring a midget to a, like a, if he's feuding with some guy, like why does, how does a midget come into play into this? It seems like. Well, the midget was to fight Bobby Heenan. Right. I understand. Oh, but, okay. I, but I'm saying, but still as a kid, I was kind of like, it just, I still thought, well. Uh, even what, a what large, did you think was going to happen? Even a yeah. large, regular sized Bobby Heenan was going to be able to. Who wasn't midget. small. Like right. Heenan was like six one. Right, like he wasn't a small guy at all. Right, so that's why I always thought that that was interesting. So, but anyhow, but that's uh, a midget memory for me to you. Uh, you brought up on that list there was Little Crusher and Little Bruiser. Yes, pretty sure they were the same guy. Yeah, I thought Just so too. Depending I was on where ask you, you about that one, where it was promoted. Let's go through um, a couple of these names real quick here. Um, we already talked about Sky Lolo, Little Beaver, Lord Littlebrook, Fuzzy Cupid. Sky Lolo was, of course, a tune off of sky high lee who was a giant competitor at that time um what about fuzzy cupid anything anything to like uh Uh, no i don't know much well he was very ugly as he got older yes but uh i think it was in one of my books there's a great uh promo pic of him by tony lanza who took a lot of the really great posed pictures from that time uh, and he still had hair so yeah and uh yeah i remember uh fuzzy cupid's looks definitely did fall short um Really? We had uh, here's another question I had for you. Some of these guys as we list the names like Bobo Johnson, Don't like know. we said, uh, Little Crusher, Little Bruiser, same guy, um, Little Jumbo. Um, Don't know who that is. No, but then like then of course there's your uh, Pee Wee James, Pee Wee Lopez, Sonny Boy Hayes, Tiger Jackson. Tiger Jackson was Dink. Yes, uh, Wee Willie Wilson, mm-hmm. and um, Frenchie Lamont. Uh, there were your, a series of kids, like the Jamaica kid, the Haiti kid. Uh, could have been the same guy. There's a story. It's like it, it might have been the Haiti kid. Like they approached him to do the little Mr. T gimmick. Yes. But he didn't want to do it. So they went to another African-American little person. So, hey, do you want to do the T gimmick? Yeah, great. Voop, 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 did it. Booked all around the circuit. So suddenly the first guy was like, uh, can we? Uh... Right. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, that was another uh, midget memory for me. Was the was it Roddy Piper's pit? Uh, was it Piper's? Yeah, pit that was with they, the Haiti kid. With the Haiti kid, where they shaved his head, yes, like, mocking there, him in front of Mister T. Yeah, there was a little Mister T. Have you in seen the, that, Kyle? Oh Jesus! Yeah. There was a little Mister T in the AWA that was short, but like just looked like a shorter person sure. rather than yes. a midget. I just remember that. I also I think that may have been at that supercard in La. Uh, at Sox Field, where yes. like every match was for a championship. I think that um, if you look online too, you'll see some of these um, midgets. I'll use the air quotes for it. Some of these guys were just like really short dudes. Yes, and some of them were dwarfs. Yeah. Now the difference between a midget and a dwarf: uh, a midget is a small person, but his body parts are all proportionate, so it just looks like a little person. Right. A dwarf is when 
the body parts are out of proportion, like if they've got the stumpy arms or anything like that. Oh, that's it's, awesome. it's a medical yeah. definition. Right, so. right. Um, are you familiar with Wang Wang? Excuse me? Uh, there's an actor, I think, from the Philippines named Wang Wang. No, I'm not. He familiar. did a bunch of... Um, Tell me about Wang. It was Wang Wang. It was Because it swings. Yes. Um, he did a bunch of James Bond style movies. Sure. Um, uh, he did one called like For Your Height Only. Uh, and, uh, I think I'm recalling. But I can't he, remember if the guy I'm thinking of is Hispanic or. It's Chinese. pretty interesting because he was very short. I mean, like really, he was on the shorter end of the sure the midge. But his body was completely proportionate, and he didn't have like that barrel chest and the bow. Like he was thin. Uh huh. He looked like a normal sized human shrunk right. down to that size, and he was a big movie star. Okay. Um, I'll have to give you the tape. It's pretty good. He does a, a great movie for your height only. It was really excellent. Now, Mula controlled female midgets wrestlers, didn't she? Uh, well, she, she trained all the ladies, yes. Yes. And so, so, but she had like Diamond Lil, I believe. Diamond right? Lil, the story that always gets repeated is like Diamond Lil saw Mula wrestle and can I come live with you? It's like, well, are you smoking cigarettes? Yes. You'll have to throw those cigarettes away. And then I threw them cigarettes away and she became my damn midget. And that was that? Yeah, and that's how she moved in with Mula. Well, the... So, now, just wait. Sure. She didn't... Like, she would have controlled them like the women wrestlers, but that was just an extension of, hey, I've already got a midget. I need somebody to work. Right. So the other midgets around the circuit would see whatever the word trickles back, hey, send her to Mula. Yeah. Because those uh the midget lady wrestlers didn't work the fun style so much they worked like mula's girls right like yeah they worked they were tough like they worked like a serious straightforward well match. but they also worked the mula style grabbing everything from the right and everything like you can tell they all came from the same school gotcha okay. so they weren't necessarily included because sorry to say it but they're like a double gimmick that's kind of like piling on yeah right exactly you know no, and that makes sense. And I'm sure too, even to the untrained wrestling fan, I or whatever, it would it looked obvious. I'm sure you could just tell like they were people working together, familiar with each other, like their style and how it all went. Well, right, but this is also the disadvantage of not having homesteaders, you know. Right. So there was no obviously they came in together. Right. Where where are we gonna find <laughs> like we haven't seen this other person around town at all. Right. As opposed to wrestlers that Oh, here's a new wrestler coming in against somebody we know and trust. Yeah. You know. Well, we had, um, just to bring up some of the female names, we already talked about Diamond Lil. We had uh, Darlene Dagmar. Yeah, she was a blonde. Yeah. Like uh, wh- lot- where does Dagmar come from? Is that like an old, t- I feel like that's some old term for like something pop culture-ish in the well, it, she 40s was, or 50s? Yeah, Dagmar was a busty blonde that was around at the dawn of television. Okay. Like one of the first busty blonde sure. hostesses. Okay. So that would make sense then. Yeah. Uh, Princess Little Dove. Uh, there's footage of that on that PM film. But like yeah. That's on that Good Times video that always goes around. Incidentally, there's one, I believe it's in, I know it was in a the A&E professional wrestling uh, documentary where they showed footage of a women's midget match but they showed it in black and white as an example of what's going on but like the original match was in color okay and the wwf 
or WWE AWA retrospective does that with some footage oh, too. Oh, do they really? Yeah, there's some footage that's normally in color, but they show it in black and white. Okay. Not not for blood, but to kind of say this is what old time wrestling looked like. Sure. But no, that's regular wrestling. You just <laughs> right. or you know quote unquote. Did you did the uh, the reverse Ted Turner. It, yes, yes. Which is good. Uh, they had um, Cherry Lamore and Gypsy Rose, also female uh, midgets at that time. Uh, sure. Yeah. But those, again, this would have been especially. And they're all Moolah's girls, too. That's the thing. These well, are all people that trained with Moolah. Uh, and, it, well, especially with the women, especially a woman with differently abled, like what job opportunities did they have? Right. So this could have been their ticket out, much like a lot of other girls under that troop. So that leaves us, I guess. We move into the 80s when we're talking about this. I know there's a lot that happened in the you know, 60s and 70s, and they were mm-hmm. that attraction. But you look at the 80s, and I think uh, you said it best earlier, that it's just like the time was changing. People's thoughts and ideas of exploitation, I think, were mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, you're kind of running thin with these uh, right. and, exploitive matches. And especially the troop was aging out. Right. Like the last big stage for midget wrestling was wrestlemania 3 and look how old everybody was there right absolutely now uh who was it little beaver got his rib broke by king kong bundy uh giving him the elbow drop and that was a shoot yes okay which of course wasn't supposed to happen but then was the uh, the elbow drop was supposed to happen, but the rib breaking yeah, wasn't that yeah. was kind of but little beaver was also like he looked old yeah he's like 70 years old right um there was an issue with the payday like at mania three yeah at mania three like something like like the whole group only got like ten thousand dollars or something i'm just i'm just spitballing here but uh little brook went to vince and said hey you know where's our where's our cut of the money and vince said something along the lines of well isn't that more than you've ever made before You know, so right. like didn't pay him. I don't know if it was a percentage, but that led to the WWF not using midgets again. Yeah. What so the, once they were off of that national stage and midgets weren't, didn't, you know, obviously weren't going to go in down at Turner right, or, or WCW at all because that wasn't really their, their shtick. Yeah. There was really no place for them to work. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. That was kind of like the death knell for. Now there were, there were still little people performers because Little Brooks kid uh, one wrestled as the Karate Kid, and the other one wrestled—I forget his name—but like just passed away in the last two weeks. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Little Cato. That Little was Kato. his name. Okay, sure. Um, and there was also a story that I don't know the particulars of, but there may have been an issue with one of the midgets and the Pat Patterson Terry Garvin thing that happened in the mid '90s. Enlighten us. Uh the sexual harassment gotcha. issues with the W like, gotcha. and I like the article I read about it, little Brook, just the strangest use of a verb said he wasn't going to let one of his boys be homosexual if he could stop it or sure. So I just thought that being homosexual was an yeah, interesting, that is an interesting, interesting word verb to use. Yeah. So, um, so what did you think of that WrestleMania three match? I, I think it I was a midget match. It was King Kong Bundy who was in the main event the year before. Right. <laughs> but I mean, but it was, it, you're right when you say it was a midget match. It's Bob Euchre that makes that match though, isn't it? Oh, I guess I don't remember that part. Uh, when King Kong Bundy drops the elbow on Little Beaver, he says he gives him the Antrimima spatula. Sure. <laughs> like Better get like the that. little guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was some, um, 
another thing that always stuck out in that match, and again, I probably haven't watched it in a long time. I feel like Bobby Heenan uh, legitimately gets mad at King Kong Bundy at the end of that match. Probably for hurting the midget. For hurting the midget, right. Because they're doing that whole bit where he's like, no, don't do it, don't do it. And then Bundy does it. And then all the midgets decide to team up against King Uh Kong Bundy. But then when King Kong Bundy's leaving, Heenan's yelling at him. I don't know. It's worth taking a look at again. I could be way off, but I always felt like even being younger and watching that, I'm like, I feel like Heenan was really letting him have it there. So it could very well be. Um, and then, I mean, we've always prided ourselves on kind of stopping early 90s when it comes to uh, wrestling, you know, not well, going past uh, an area there. But Well, as we said before, um, Midgets came, came back with Dink. Right. And Doink had his Dink, and then there was a Survivor Series or whatever. Now, I recall seeing a house show at that time, like the C or B level house show, because there was a midget match with Dink. Yes. And they brought out a referee that was different from all the other cards. Now, I believe that referee was named, could have been named Bunny Gibbons. Okay. Uh, But he was a referee that knew the style and knew the spots of all those matches. Sure, sure. Uh, So it wasn't just a regular guy. But at that time, they were still running, besides doing the, the Dink stuff, they were still doing probably indie shows or they were doing yeah. like smaller territory. Yeah, and probably, you know, I'm just going to like South America or the Pacific Rim or whatever, right. you know, doing something funny there. Right. And at this point now, I guess we look, you know, and we don't come to current day and we're not going to dwell on it. But um, it seems that recently there's been somewhat of a, I don't want to say resurgence, but they're definitely back out there. But they're doing their own thing, it seems. Yeah, the, uh, the current, like, I, well, like I said before, I've worked with, uh, what was his name? Short Sleeve Samson. Listen, yes. Um, what was it like working a midget? Uh, let me tell you, great person, but the thrill of kicking a midget in the face is indescribable. Really? Yes. Like, well, just like, you, you, like you, everything in my life had peaked at that moment. You were just like, this is so Because he did the worm. It was the W-O-R and then on M, that's when I hit him with like the thrust kick. Yeah. And it was like, boom. Wow. Is there anything you need to know when working a midget besides that they're small? Um. Well, no. This guy was like, no, no. You can slam me. You know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. ready for that. But I still have protected him. I've worked with him, and I worked with uh. Well, who later became Hornswoggle? Sure, sure thing. Oh, uh, you know. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a jerk and hurt again. No, and I understand that. I'm just saying I didn't know if there was something special um, in the style that you need to do. Or well, there was a problem. Of, of course, my partner was still very new. Uh, he had trouble taking a slam. Like he didn't get his head tucked in time. The midget had a problem. No, no, the my partner. Okay, gotcha. But could have been my partner was clueless. So. Yeah, very well. Uh, but I'm sorry. What I was going to get to was he said that you know a lot of the little people today don't like working that traditional style because they think it's demeaning and they right. think it's because the traditional style is jokey. Right, right. And so they don't be. they don't want to get into that. So they work hardcore. Well, they well they work as the same as the the big guys yeah. or they work this hardcore thing because I mean that's more just the gimmick of they're they're little right. people and they're going crazy all over your bar. Right. Right. So. And that's pretty much yeah, that seems to be it. I guess the clientele for some of those is just like drunken frat boy type crowd. Right. And a friend of mine recently worked two little people that came out of a a camp in Minnesota. He said, like, one was deaf and the other one had to, like, signal spots to him or something like that. Jesus. So it was a strange. Yeah. There was just this added handicap. One of our mutual friends, 
uh, worked some midgets a few years back, mm-hmm. and they treated him uh, poorly. So he got one of the midgets in the ring and chopped them. Okay. And then the rest were supposed to run in and make the save, and nobody came out. Okay. Because they were afraid. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> I can share a story uh, from my friend, uh, the Professor Axel Future, yes. which we've mentioned earlier. Uh, about the cosmic commander of wrestling who was an east coast uh manager slash wrestling personality for several years uh worked a show with a set of the traditional midgets i don't have the name but a story was they had so much marijuana on them and got the cosmic commander who had spent his you know amount of time inebriated uh, got him so stoned that when he came out for the ring, you could just see him doing this, his commander dance, but you can just tell he's totally gone and trying yeah. to keep it together. But he just said that the midgets smoke a lot of marijuana. There you go. So good for them. Kyle just said that's true. Okay. Yeah, so he's acknowledging that. Now, uh, midget wrestling uh, in Mexico has never really waned, has it? Like that's pretty been that's been pretty successful and pretty steady. Well, that was brought about, uh, I'm sure something existed prior, but that really got big with the introduction of the minis by uh, Antonio Pena in AAA when they had the wrestling revolution there. What was that in the late 80s, 80s, early 90s where this new, like he introduced the, uh, or really pushed the minis and pushed the exoticos. Yes. So that's what they came in and the little people there were also able to learn the style, the lucha style. As Fantastic well. too. I yeah. mean, I'll say there's the, some of the minis in Mexico can really, well, the, yeah, they had really a great match on that when worlds collide, yeah. which is my, you know, the extent of right. The bulk of my, yeah, I always, lucha. um, I would did, always did think that that was neat though, that lucha. they were, um, You've just, it's always kind of been constant for them. You still see it to this day that they, they bring the minis in. Well, I also think that goes with the culture. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think it also goes along with you have the ability to bring in the minis because you have, everyone's in a mask. Right. So it doesn't matter, you know, uh, there's, they oh, all look the same. you're being the ugly American here. No, well, I mean, yes, I guess I am. Because you know but, how the masks are in Lucha. I mean, yeah. No, but I'm just saying that it becomes it's an easier sell because you look at the, when we were doing when we were having midget wrestling in the in America, America. Uh, and in America, um, if you were African American, you were pretty much Haiti kid, little Mister T, Calypso, yeah. Calypso it Jim. was always it was something along that right. line, you know. And then it, it was you were basically typecast to that, like whatever your ethnicity was. Right. Um, but and then the other wrestling. Inter- yeah, but, the, but right. But the interesting thing was it seemed like a lot of the uh, white uh, Caucasian midgets always became like a cowboy. It was always like cowboy this or cowboy that. Like that was the only thing they could really come up with. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think it was the bowed legs that helped with that. No, I think that's a great point. Yeah. I really do. Incidentally, Cowboy Lang was on your list, and you didn't bring him up. Oh, I, yeah. He was uh, trained by Lord Littlebrook, wasn't he? Trained by Lord Littlebrook. Uh, allegedly huge penis. Really? Yes. Are we talking like Milton Burrow? I I don't know. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about Milton Burrow golfing? Just enough to win. Yes. Yes. That's always one of my favorites. Well, no, actually, that's a different one. Oh, then that's no. the the two guys. Uh, guy challenges Milton Burrow yeah. to pull his cock out. He says, "How much?" Like he just, yeah, he pulled out just enough to win. But then the other one was Milton Burrow golfing, and a guy on the golf course said, "Is it true how big your 
uh, penises and Milton Berle kneeled down, pulled it out and put it on the green with it. So, okay. It's a pretty great story. Um, <laughs> on that note this is a strange podcast yeah it really is isn't it things luthez did not like yes uh that's always one of our uh what can we do? uh well we talk about this luthez at one time did not want to appear on any cards with women or midgets or bears. attractions or bears or any any attractions like right. that because he wanted to protect the purity of wrestling and felt it wasn't good for the champion to appear on cards with such falderall so really would yeah so he'd set up a big a big stink and then there there's a few ep- episodes in his book where he like tried to stand up and got face down and sam oh just do it as a personal favor to me but you know it was right. all just and i could see it like back in yeah the time, i mean i understand I his i understand his deal but but I think you'd be able to sell a midget match in the sense that, like, it is that entertaining, that funny thing. Uh, do you feel in any way that the midgets are uh, one of the factors? Not, I mean, I don't mean it like if you really think about the business as a whole, do you think about that midget wrestling because it was so comical and so silly that that really punched that hole in kayfabe and that really punched the hole in the realness of it all, that that tended to lend people to disbelieve the legitimacy of the business? It's a good question. Um, I guess you could even take it. Yeah. No, I think it was just it was part of the show, but the business was still protected to the extent that people wouldn't question it. The business was, yeah, so regular size guys right. protected the business. People viewed the midgets as comical as the comedy, uh, yeah. like the, the popcorn break, the whatever you Yeah, will. like nobody went up to... Jack Briscoe and said, I know wrestling is fake because those midgets do that stuff. Would they still separate the midgets, like bad and good, heel and face? Oh, yeah. So they would still be separated. Um, Oh, well, you mean in the locker rooms? Yeah. Oh, I'm assuming that's set up. Yeah. Yes, that would be set up no matter the performance. Like they wouldn't give the midgets a separate locker room. Right. Oh, no. But they would have worked together so, so many times. But I'm saying, like, it seems like when you talk about, you know, like Moolah's girls, you talk about the midgets, you talk about the oddity things. I feel as a fan back in the day, I might have been more susceptible to thinking or accepting the fact if I saw Lord Littlebrook and Sky Lolo walking together after a match, I wouldn't be like, hey, you're supposed to hate each other. I think I would have been more understanding of that they get along because they were doing a performance. And I always wonder if that, if they were still made to keep that kayfabe. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, they would have been. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, they, they wouldn't sure. get into the same car you right. know, until the fans had gone. But, yeah, kayfabe, of course, it went by your, your territory, but kayfabe would have always been protected. Gotcha. Well, Derek, this was uh, not our Don't, longest episode. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah, it uh, but it did, definitely did go um, a good distance of length. Uh, we covered a good uh, distance of length. length. <laughs> I I'm thinking of Milton Burrow's penis. Uh, hey uh, Anyhow, Derek, thank you for going over this. I like these weird, kind of strange, bizarre topics that we cover sometimes. Not that midgets and little people are strange, bizarre, or anything like that. Now I'm just digging a hole. Uh, on that note, I want to wrap things up here for the show. Um, <laughs> I am your co-host, Jay Gilke. You've been listening to Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. We are brought to you exclusively through Astro Radio Z and iTunes. Uh, asking you to subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share the podcast with your friends. And um, again, 
Thinking about a live event, guys. Let us know what you think out there. Uh, we'd love to do one. Derek shaking his head no. I am saying yes. Let's go ahead and do this. It'll be a good time. Um, give us some ideas, and uh, I promise you we'll make it happen. I'll drag Derek there, and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen somehow by hook or by crook. So until next time, my friends, we'll see you later. Mm -hmm.